it feels like this is a joke story, but it keeps coming up, so I have to get your thoughts. Three separate times in the last few weeks, we've had celebrities talking about this weird topic. Jake Gyllenhaal, Mila Kunis, and Ashton Kutcher have come out to say that they don't find, wait for it, bathing very necessary. Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher went as far to say they don't find bathing their children very necessary. And Jake Gyllenhaal said that, well, you know, it's, it's what it is, like, bad breath, I get that, you know, you gotta take care of that, but the body, it just cleans itself. So, my question for you guys is, am I crazy? Is this normal? And should these people be bathing, is what I want to know. <laughs> I got a question to rebuttal that, I guess. What do they mean by, they mean bathing like taking a bath, or they mean showering, do they, or they just mean like cleaning with water in general? What it's a good mean? question, Keith, and that's what I thought each time I started reading the articles. And I was like, I mean, if, they, if they're talking about baths, I guess I get it. But each yeah. time when I got to the end of the article, it was, no, these people aren't showering. Not taking showers at all. That's <laughs> yeah. pretty gross. So I've seen the same story pop up a few times now that you're referencing, and I always thought, I never read it. I just thought that just of it was, they don't take a shower every day. It sounds like you did a deep dive, and they're just... They're just choosing not to engage in personal care, which I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, what it sounds like. that's a major issue. You got to shower at least every other day, I feel like. Well, you mentioned uh, Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher. They're married, right? They're married, not showering, not brushing their teeth and not bathing their children, apparently. Not brushing Keith. their teeth either? Oh, I don't God. know about that. Meanwhile, Jake Gyllenhaal is like going to the Spider-Man set and he like smells like ass. <laughs> like he's just forcing everybody. Tom to... Holland's like, you fucking smell, Jake. Oh my God, Jake. <laughs> You, f- you smell like ass. <laughs> you smell like Uncle Ben's corpse. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three directors just wanting to release our cut of a movie with nothing better to do. I'm Austin Terry, and I just want to nom nom. I'm Keith Baker, and I'm not worthy to carry the javelin. And I'm Matt Johnson, and I'm just gonna hurt ya. Really? Really. Bad. (laughs) On today's show, we'll be discussing the latest addition to the DCEU, The Suicide Squad. In case you're confused, this is not a sequel to the 2016 David Ayer-directed Suicide Squad, Although it kind of is, I'm not sure, but I also hear there's an air cut out there somewhere. Who knows? But before we get into any of that fun stuff, Matt, we have some other great content out right now. What do you got for us? Ooh, good question, Austin. Well, you know, we've been doing some bonus series every now and then. So we talked about Loki most recently. So if you want to jump back over to the Marvel Universe, certainly check those episodes out. We've also been doing a retrospective and review series on John Wick. So we've done chapter one and chapter two so far. It's been super fun jumping back to those episodes. And chapter three is on its way. So check those out as well. And with that, let's get into the main topic for today. After David Ayer declined to direct the sequel to the critically panned but financial hit that was the first Suicide Squad, the hunt for writers and directors commenced. But finally, in 2018, James Gunn was brought aboard the project after his initial firing from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 due to past controversial jokes and tweets that resurfaced. The following year, he was rehired for Guardians, leading to our first director to bridge the gap between the worlds of Marvel and DC. Gunn had his choice of any DC project to direct and even turned down a Superman film in favor of this Suicide Squad that mostly stands on its own. So without further ado, Matthew and Keith, give me your general thoughts on the DCEU's first attempt at Suicide Squad, as well as your expectations going in and your non-spoiler thoughts on James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. Yeah, I mean, what a weird journey The Suicide Squad of all properties has taken the last few years. I remember being so excited for David Ayer's outing because the trailers were exciting. They used, you know, huge pop music, so I think that probably got me more excited than I should have been. I was probably more paying attention to Queen as opposed to like the actual content of the trailers and shit. But yeah, when that movie came out, I just thought it was absolute garbage. Um, I rewatched like half of it semi-recently. I, I, I genuinely sat down, tried to get through it to have a better, more informed part of this conversation, and I just couldn't do it. I think it's just one of the worst edited movies. The characters, every single one, it's like even in their emotional moments, it just feels like 
every single character was just written to have one-liners. Like, that's all they're doing, particularly Harley Quinn. I mean, Margot Robbie's great, but it just, every single line is just her saying some dumb one-liner. Um, all Just every moment that isn't supposed to be funny falls flat, and even most of the jokes do, too. So it is just a garbage movie, and like every other minute, they're just playing a random hit song from like the Billboard Top 100. Like they're just picking random songs to play. I'll never forget whenever Harley Quinn's Purple getting dressed. Purple Lamborghini. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at least that one was written for the movie. But it's like <laughs> when Harley Quinn's getting dressed in dead shots, like getting dressed for the first time, they're playing Eminem. Like, this looks like a job for me. So everybody just follow me. And you know, controversy. It's like, what the fuck are they doing? <laughs> this makes <laughs> no sense at all. It is just a garbage fire. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Keith, did you have any thoughts on the first one? I mean, to be honest with you guys, I, I don't really remember too much from the first one. I, I think I only saw it once, maybe twice. There's nothing I, I remember about the first one. I just remember I was not enjoying it that much. And uh, the characters were somewhat funny every now and then, but that was about it. That's all I kind of got from the first one. Yeah, for me, I was kind of in Matt's boat. Um I was super excited for Suicide Squad. The trailers hooked me. I love the majority of the characters that they chose to put into the first movie. And so I was totally down. I saw it opening day. I rounded up all my friends while I was in college. And I was like, guys, we got to go see Suicide Squad. It's going to be so good. And there's no worse feeling than getting into a movie, a movie you're excited for. And then 10 minutes into the film, you're just like, oh, no, this is going to be really bad. And you convinced all your friends to go see it with you, too. And there's just, kind of like Keith was saying, there's not really any standout scenes in that film. The only standout character is Margot Robbie. I'm glad they kind of chose to hit the reset button. Um, I've always been in the camp that I'd be interested to see the air cut if it exists, but I just wish that guy would stop campaigning for it on Twitter. The first one's brutal, and I'm glad they chose to kind of move on from, from everything they set in motion in the first movie. Well, let's address it real quick, because from what I remember was that we were all kind of hyped up for Jared Leto being the Joker. What what's your initial thoughts on how that played out? <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> Jared Leto's content in Suicide Squad is terrible, like what we saw. I am always still super interested to see what a different movie with Jared Leto as the Joker looks like. I would have no issues with him getting another shot at the role, but from just what we saw in Suicide Squad, he was a terrible Joker. According to him, they shot enough film for there to be a standalone Joker movie, so who knows if that's true or not. But what they chose to put on screen was not good from Jared Leto. Yeah, wasn't great. <laughs> so all I can really say, it is funny, though. I mean, we're talking about kind of our negative thoughts on the first one, obviously. And whether we like it or not, that probably in a positive way influenced our thoughts on the new one, because we talk about what are your expectations going into a new movie like this. And honestly, for me, I didn't really have any. And I think it's because of how bad the first one was to me. So whenever they announced, hey, you know, the guy from Guardians, James Gunn, he's writing and directing this. I was like, that's cool. I'm sure it'll be fun. I'm sure it'll be good. But I had zero expectation. I really just was like, as long as it's better than the first one, I really don't care. So, I mean, did you guys feel the same way? Or were there like specific things that you were kind of expecting out of this one? At this point, I just don't trust DC at all. So I kind of like you, I had no expectations. I probably had low expectations going into it because it seems just like they so badly want to be the MCU. Um, so yeah, I had no expectations going into it. The trailers at least look like it's going to be better than the first one, but that's such a low bar to follow. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, yeah, just so the audience knows, not that it'll change much, but we did the exact same thing here that we did with uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. We all three got on a call, put on our headphones, played the movie at the same time through a watch party and watched it together on HBO Max. And as for non-spoiler thoughts, I just, man, I, I loved it. I had such a good time with this movie, whether it was an action scene, whether it was a scene that was trying to be comedic, whether it was a scene that was trying to kind of delve a bit deeper into a character and give you an emotional moment. I just thought it fired on all cylinders. Every Everything worked about it for me. Sure, there are some jokes that fall flat. There are some moments that don't work as well as others. But for a movie that's just a little bit over two hours, I, I had an absolute blast. I thought it was so fun. And yeah, it was way better than I thought it ever could be. So I loved it. I'm right there with you. I had a fantastic time watching this movie. It's so much fun. Um, I've seen it twice now. I actually watched it back to back right after we got done watching it. I watched it again with my wife and I had just as much fun the second time around. I think they nailed every single character. It's such a large cast, but somehow they still managed to have great individual moments for 
pretty much every character that's on the marquee for the movie. Um, I think this is the best Harley Quinn movie that they've done so far as well. The comedy works, the action works, the R rating works. Everything about this movie hit on all cylinders for me. I think the only negative I have is I do think it's about 15 minutes too long. Um, it does tend to overstay its welcome a little bit, but everything that they put on screen, I really enjoyed. And so that's just kind of me reaching for something negative to say about the movie. And I think when you compare it to the original movie, too, this one was a welcome surprise because, like Austin was talking about a little bit and Keith, too, like this one just felt more like, in a weird way, what you would expect. I mean, it's a huge cast, and I don't think it's a spoiler to say that, you know, some of them don't make it through, but... They really found good ways to create funny moments out of these characters that, like, you've never heard of before. They also had great interpersonal relationships between the characters, some that make it, some that don't. So it's like, I think James Gunn just did a great job with the time given, essentially. It was like, you know, I don't know if all these characters will make it, but I'm going to not play them all off for a joke, which he easily could have. I mean, there's some characters, like, closer to the beginning that it's like... You know, you have throwaway characters in any movie, but for whatever, I don't know what it is, but James Gunn just has a good way of making every character feel important in some way. And maybe that importance is just for a joke. So with this huge cast, I just felt like everybody had a moment to shine, which I cannot say for the original movie. And especially, you know, whenever you think about like the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, I feel like people call those out in the MCU as being movies that have great comedy and great heart, especially when it comes to family. I think that was kind of the big thing with those movies is there was great family moments. And this one kind of felt the same, whether it be actual family members or, you know, the new family that's forming on the Suicide Squad. I just felt like they really did a great job balancing the comedy and the action and the emotional beats. Like, I, I got to be honest, like there was moments when we were watching together where I was like fist pumping because I was so excited about a moment or I was laughing out loud. And then sometimes I was kind of tearing up like, oh, my God, that moment got me. I had no idea it would. So, yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you guys. I just loved it. And like, <laughs> I don't, it's like unlike the Guardians movies, this movie, every element, like the emotional stuff, the comedy and the action, none of it fell flat. Whereas in those movies, I feel like I'm a bit more critical in the Guardians movies than most people are. Um, but this one, it was like, I don't know. It felt like James Gunn with the R rating was fully kind of unleashed. And I, I thought he nailed it. Yeah, I think the R rating was a great choice for a Suicide Squad movie. And I also think just choosing to scrape the bottom of the barrel with DC Comics characters and really pick out unknown characters and, and make them some of our main characters for the movie was also a really smart choice because the majority of the audience, whether you're a comic fan or just an everyday person off the street, you don't have any attachment to these, to these characters. You don't have any preconceived notions about what they should be doing or how they should be playing on screen. So J I think James Gunn just really got to go all out with this film and really unleash everybody, like you said, Matt. And then you mentioned the comedy there. I, I think this honestly might be one of the funniest movies of 2021 so far. Like every joke I think hit really well, whether it be a comic book joke or just an, an everyday joke. The fact that you can have calendar man screaming at polka dot man and calling him a pussy and saying if he's going to come to his son's birthday party this weekend and perform and the <laughs> fact that it's funny and doesn't fall flat is just a testament to james gunn and the way he makes his movies going to what you just said austin maybe you know some of these people watching this movie like me for instance who don't know all these comic book characters and i think while we were watching it i know you guys knew more of these characters than i did but it still worked for me though like i still felt like i knew these characters as the film went along. Yeah, that's a good point. I feel like at the end of the first Suicide Squad movie, even when you think about characters, I don't know, like El Diablo or Katana or just like random ones like that, it's like you don't really get to know them at all by the end or even the main villain Enchantress. Whereas here, I thought they did a great job, even with the smaller characters, like we said, they all got moments, like whether they be small or big characters. And by the end, I feel like I knew everybody, even characters that didn't make it through. I mean, they just did a great job of humanizing everybody, even the characters that skew a bit more evil than the other ones that you at least get a moment or two to explain where they're coming from maybe you don't agree with it but the fact that we even got those moments to make the characters more complex i didn't expect so at the end whenever the credits were rolling i was like wow i mean i had no idea with that big of a cast that i would feel something for all of them in some way and so yeah definitely pleasantly surprised they also did a great job of, of having real stakes uh for the movie like some of the characters they choose to kill early on, non-spoilers, of course, but it, it really set the tone for the remainder of the film. And, and it really had me wondering who was actually going to make it out of this movie. And I know that's such a cliche and that's something every director says for their films. But by the time the credits rolled, I, I genuinely had no clue who was going to make it out. 
And I was kind of nervous for some of the characters that you become attached to in this film and whether or not they were going to be making it out in the final act of the movie. I don't know how they did that. In a movie called Suicide Squad, it's you expect a lot of people to die, but you're so right. Just with the with the timing of when they chose to kill certain characters, it really was like, wow, anybody can die. I have no idea who's going to make it out. And there was multiple times where we were all getting towards the end and saying out loud, no, that person's going to die. And sometimes they did and sometimes they didn't. So it was like, yeah, like you really had no clue. And that was, was it made it even more fun. And and by the time we get to the end, I was really happy with who who made it out. And, you know, there's some sad losses along the way. But, I mean, it was a really pleasant watch in that way because tons of surprises. Um, okay, so we're going to now transition into uh, some spoiler talk for the remainder of this episode. I think we would all unanimously say go see this one, whether it's in theaters or on HBO Max. It's a blast. It's one of the best DCU movies to come out. And uh, with that, let's go ahead and roll some segue music and we come on back. It'll be time for some spoiler talk of The Suicide Squad. All right, boys, let's get into the movie facts for The Suicide Squad. Keith, why don't you kind of run down our general logline for the movie? Supervillains Harley Quinn, Bloodsport, Peacemaker, and a collection of nutty cons at Belle Reve Prison join the super-secret, super-shady Task Force X as they are dropped off at the remote, enemy-infused island of Corto Maltese. Yeah, so as for the cast and crew, of course, this movie was written and directed by James Gunn, who you probably know from the live-action Scooby-Doo films, and that's probably it. Oh, yeah, he also did Dawn of the Dead, Super, Brightburn, and all three Guardians of the Galaxy movies. It is, of course, based on the Suicide Squad comics by John Ostrander. The score was composed by John Murphy, which this was actually his first feature film score in 11 years. He's known for Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, Snatch, 28 Days Later, Sunshine, and Kick-Ass. As for the cast, we have a mixed match of returning characters and new faces. We have Margot Robbie returning as Harley Quinn, Idris Elba as Bloodsport, John Cena as Peacemaker, Joel Kinnaman returns as Colonel Rick Flagg, Daniela Melchior as Ratcatcher 2, David Desmalchian as Polka Dot Man, Jai Courtney returning as Captain Boomerang, Peter Capaldi as The Thinker, with Sylvester Stallone as the voice of King Shark, and Viola Davis returning as Amanda Waller. Oh yeah, and you also have Michael Rooker, Alice Braga, Pete Davidson, Nathan Fillion, Sean Gunn, Fula Borg, Mailing Ning, Joaquin Cosio, Juan Diego Botto, Storm Reed, Jennifer Holland, Steve Aki, and of course, Taika Waititi. Okay, guys, so this is a huge cast. I'm assuming probably bigger than anyone we've ever talked about before. Like I said, we had some returning people and some new faces. So, who in front or behind the camera are your highlights, positive or negative? Yeah, my standout for sure is Daniela Melchior as Ratcatcher 2. She really is the heart and soul of this movie. She brings so much compassion in every scene she's in. Her backstory is super tragic and just a super easy character to root for throughout the movie. I like the relationship that she has with King Shark and the relationship that she forms with Bloodsport. In keeping in theme with the Ratcatcher 2, my highlight behind the camera is uh, John Murphy's score. You guys know I'm a big fan of the Mad Max Fury Road score, and I think this one is kind of similar to that with with the guitars and the bass and, and the way it kind of feels like a rock and roll concert throughout the majority of the movie. And the theme song for Ratcatcher 2, um, Ratism, for context, it's the one that plays when all the rats are swarming Starro. Yeah, um, that theme is just incredible and, and one of the better scores I've heard in a while, especially for being a theme for a character. Man, it's kind of hard to choose. Everybody was so good and funny and believable as their characters. But if I got to shout out anybody, I'll go ahead and shout out uh, Idris Elba as Bloodsport. I think he definitely uh, plays this guy well. I don't know who Bloodsport is as a character as far as the comics goes. I know you guys do. I don't know who he is. Nobody but... does, Keith. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, I I well, then I feel better now. They say it in the movie. His claim to fame is shooting Superman with a kryptonite bullet. Well, there you go. But yeah, I think he plays this guy well and he... Plays a believable, believable action hero kind of type and also like a kind of a father in the secondary. And then uh, I'll shout out to Margot Robbie as well as Harley Quinn. I thought she was pretty badass in this movie. Um, I don't think I really got to see the full extent of her in the last movie. And I just don't remember that much of it uh, anyway. So seeing her in this one have and to have her own action sequences and her own little... Uh, she had a good portion of this movie all to herself so it's pretty cool to see her uh her character kind of come alive um so i'll shout to her as well and then one last shout out real quick is sliced alone 
has King Shark. Hand! <laughs> yeah, you guys uh, hit some of the big ones. Luckily, you left one open for me, but I did want to shout out in a little bit extra, like Keith said, to King Shark. I think the use of that character was super great. I think I was so nervous for that character, but you're I so right, Matt. I was too. I was too. And in a weird way, it's kind of a weird um, writing thing to shout out, but for the King Shark character, I thought it was actually smart to make him kind of speak in broken English. And I think the purpose of that was almost to do like a baby Groot type thing where he kind of seems like an infant. And I think when you do that, it's super easy to root for those characters, even when they're ultra violent, like King Shark is, like eating people and all that stuff. Whenever you get these great moments of him saying he doesn't have any friends and then Ratcatcher 2 like becomes his first friend, like, I don't know. I think the way they wrote that character and the way Sly Stallone delivered it made that character super easy to feel empathy for. So that was great. Um, and then, of course, I'm sure to many people's surprise out there, but I know not to you guys. I, I just love Joel Kinnaman. If nobody out there has seen The Killing on Netflix and you haven't seen season one of Altered Carbon, this is one of those guys that I think is just a terrific, terrific actor. But when it came to like bigger Hollywood projects like the RoboCop remake or, of course, the first Suicide Squad movie, he always kind of got the shaft, I felt like, for the characters he was playing. Like they were never interesting. He tried, but it was just the writing sucked. And I'm just, I'm just so glad somebody finally was able to write like a big movie with a big role for someone like him. And so glad he came back as Rick Flagg. I was pleasantly surprised how much they used that character I, because they easily could have just had him die in the beginning. And I loved the way they used his character. And he had my favorite scene in the movie, like my favorite extended sequence in the entire movie, which we'll get to later, I'm sure, was whenever he's going to leak the info to the press. He's not going to be Waller's puppet anymore. That leads to him fighting Peacemaker. And then I think his death might be one of my favorite movie deaths. In recent memory, whenever he just with his dying, his final words, he just fucking shits on Peacemaker as a name and just everything he stands for. I thought it was so badass. I thought Joel Kinman was great. He was one of my favorites. I'm really glad they kind of rewrote that character to make him more fun and kind of gung ho uh, as the leader of Task Force X. I mean, even in the comics, he kind of is similar to Peacemaker. He's very straightforward, very bought into the mission. And I'm, I think that was a great change that they made for the movie to kind of have him be the soldier that can also relate to the members of his squad. He's way more fun in this movie, and he looks like he's having more fun, too. They also made it feel like, I mean, nobody in their right mind would want to volunteer to be leaders of this kind of mission. <laughs> but they did a good job of making you believe that he would, and also, on the flip side, showing that it seems like he genuinely has fun on these types of, I mean, no pun intended, suicide missions. It's like, that's where he would rather be. So, yeah, they did a great job of that. I agree. So with a movie like this, I think you have to start first and foremost with the characters. I think one of the big complaints of the original was nobody really seemed to care for any of them, whereas here, I thought Gunn really managed his two hours pretty well. I felt every character, whether their role was big or small, had moments to really shine, whether they be badass moments or emotional, that kind of thing. So we talked about the performances already, but let's get into the characters a little bit more. So what did we think? Yeah, I think my favorite thing about this one is that every main character manages to have their own fun moment that also services the story. Like, we're not just giving Margot a, a badass action scene just for the sake of having cool action. Like, everything that the characters do when they get their own standout moments, it drives the story forward as well. So it's not just action for the sake of action or jokes for the sake of jokes. All of it plays back into the main story. I mean, yeah, I guess for me, I'm trying to remember from the first one how they did it, but at least for me, I think they, they just did a better job of establishing the characters in this one overall. I kind of, it's not like they gave like a, like a huge origin story on all of them, but they did, they did enough to where they could kind of explain where they came from and like what their purpose was and kind of what their skills were. That's a great point. I feel like I understand all of our main crew's motivations so much better than the original Suicide Squad in 2016. Me too. I think the first one really was weird because it was like they spent the first 30 minutes just doing flashbacks to how the characters, I don't know what you want to say, how they got into prison or like what got them famous or whatever, like with Deadshot, Harley Quinn, Joker, whatever. But here it's like they didn't really bother with that. With the first team that all like the, that mostly dies, we don't really find out much about them except what we need to. And then they all die, and then you have Rick Flagg and Harley surviving. And then Team 2, our main team for the movie, they really only gave us um, 
Bloodsport's origin kind of in the beginning of the movie, and then the rest of it kind of naturally comes out. You know, you have Ratcatcher 2 kind of talking about her father whenever they're in a bus later. You have Peacemaker talking about his origin kind of as it goes on, and then whenever he and Rick Flagg get into it, you get a bit more of his perspective. So it was just a lot more natural how they kind of told character motivations and gave them more serious moments as opposed to in the first one where it was just... In the beginning, it was just they went through a checklist of each character and like, hey, here's a flashback for everybody and here's what they're known for. And it was like, I don't know, wasn't as cool. This was a good way to do it, I thought. So since we're on the subject of characters, I thought this would also be a good spot to just get into the various character relationships and who they chose to play off of each other. I kind of listed out kind of our main ones here. So we've got Bloodsport and Peacemaker, King Shark and Ratcatcher 2, Rick Flag and Harley. And of course, Polka Dot Man and his mother. Uh, so what were some of your relationships and, and what do you enjoy the most out of these various dynamics? Yeah, I think I already kind of mentioned it between Bloodsport and Peacemaker. It's kind of cool how they had the same skills and that they were, they knew they were on the same team, but at the same time, they were still kind of silently kind of one-upping each other. That intro to Peacemaker was so funny when Waller was like, his father raised him to be a mercenary. And then it's the exact same statement she just said about Bloodsport. That, that got me <laughs> so <exact>. good. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. And obviously that whole thing culminates in the Freedom Fighters uh, action sequence where they're literally trying to one up each other with kills and stuff. <laughs> and the way that ended with uh, uh, Peacemaker shooting the guy behind the back and like the bullet blows up and just explodes that person. <laughs> Bloodsport's like, nobody likes a show off. And he's like, they do whenever what they're doing is dope as fuck. And then Bloodsport <laughs> was... turns around under his mouth and he's like, shit, that's true. <laughs> that was like... awesome. And the blow dart, too. The blow dart was like the weirdest <laughs> thing in the movie. And I kept wondering, where is Peacemaker pulling off all this shit? Like, where is this axe he found? Where is the sword? Where is the gun? Where's the blow dart? He just keeps pulling shit off of him. It was so perfect. That was the funniest line in the whole movie, I think. Shit. So, Idris Elba, the way he delivered that, just under his breath, like, shit. <laughs> that was so good. Also, uh, with, with those two, kind of similarly to um, what we just talked about with motivations and stuff, I, I really like that they don't become pals at the end of the film no every character in this movie stays true to who they are there's not a really big change in personalities blood sport gets a little bit more compassionate towards the end but for the most part they are still villains by the time the credits roll they're just villains to happen to care about their team um and, and so i did enjoy that element as well we definitely got to talk about like you mentioned Ratcatcher 2 and king shark i thought that one was super sweet i mean it did a great job it felt almost like in a weird way in this like hard r action movie like they had like some Disney-esque moments in there, like whenever like <laughs> King Shark's going to eat her and it's like, it's just like, why would you do that? And it's like, I don't, would you eat your friends? It's like, I don't have any friends. And it's like this really like genuinely sad moment. And Ratcatcher 2 just has the absolute best reaction to it, which is like, well, I mean, we could be your friends. You wouldn't eat your friends, would you? And it's like, no. And then of course, like they still have the James Gunn stuff where <laughs> then it cuts over to Bloodsport. Like, what, what the fuck? Of course he's going to eat the money John Cena. It's like, he's obviously lying. <laughs> so they still have the comedy, but they have these really sweet moments. And I thought, like you said, Austin, Ratcatcher 2 and King Shark, the way they genuinely become friends over the course of the movie, culminating in her like running up to hug him at the end and then falling asleep against him in the plane was, I mean, just super sweet. I really like theirs. You kind of teased it, Matt, but Rick Flagg and Harley, their friendship was so believable in this movie. I, I like that they, it did seem like they carried over their history from the first movie, but they didn't address it, which I thought was smart. Um, and, and there were definitely moments where it seemed like they could have been teasing a Rick Flagg and Harley relationship as well. Yeah, I agree. They could have. I'm, I'm kind of glad they didn't like commit to that because I thought it just felt more natural the way it played out. Like whenever that same scene, whenever she gets a bit emotional because they came to save her, which culminates in her hugging Rick Flagg. And <laughs> he never like fully embraces her. He just kind of brushes her back with <laughs> He's holding a gun and it just like brushes her with the gun or whatever. So yeah, they could have gone that way, but I I'm happy with how it went. They just felt like genuine friends that have been on several missions together, which obviously Boomerang wasn't in the movie very long, but I thought in the scenes he was, he did a good job of setting that up too. It's like, he and Harley have clearly been on several Suicide Squad missions together, and they have their own rapport. You know, they make jokes together, so they were able to take that relationship in the beginning, and then whenever it was just Rick Flag and Harley later, they had that same rapport, which makes sense because they were all in the original movie. So that was a good choice, I thought. Hello, Hals. Hey, Hals. <laughs> Those boomerang scenes were really good, though. They were good. He had oh. good lines. I was genuinely sad when he died. Yeah. <laughs> 
And lastly, before we move on, we of course got to touch on Polka Dot Man and its mother. Uh, this was mostly played for laughs. You definitely could understand where Polka Dot Man was coming from in this movie when they give you his backstory. I felt like he didn't really get a strong moment with any of the other cast members um, in this one either. Uh, yeah, I thought it. Um, I thought David Esmalchian was really great as Polka Dot Man. I don't think you're right. There wasn't any serious relationships kind of developed between him or anybody else, which was a choice. It was fine. Um, he definitely had some good lines and good rapport that developed near the end. Um, I liked that he clearly cared for the Milton character that nobody else really cared about at all. That was funny. Um, and as for his mom, I liked how it was played for laughs sometimes and then kind of serious. Like you were talking about his origin moment when he talks about how his mom worked for Star Labs and kind of experimented on him. And then they're like, what happened to your brothers and sisters? And he's like, some are dead, some are alive. And it's like, what happened to your mom? And he's like, she's everywhere. And then it cuts to his point of view. And like, he just, every single person in front of him looks like his mom. And it's like equally funny and equally fucked up. It's like, oh my God. Like, it's like, geez, like (laughs) somebody that has that perspective must be like extremely hard. So it really does kind of endear you to that character. And I thought they did as much as they could with that character. I was sad when he died, but at the same time, it's like, I don't think you can have that kind of character in a sequel, really. It's like, it, it was one of those things where like, they developed him as much as they could based on how they set him up. So it kind of made sense that he went there, kind of fulfilling his arc. So it, w- it was satisfying too. Like whenever he's like, I'm a superhero. And he talked about in his origin story how his mom was trying to create superheroes. So it's almost like in a weird way he fulfilled that despite going against her. So good character. I liked it. Uh, best club scene too, when he's dancing up on his mother. Oh, that was scary. <laughs> that was scary. <laughs> Yeah, let's jump into the action here. So yeah, I really enjoyed the action and special effects in this one. I may be mistaken, but to me, and from what I've seen, this might be the most like Tarantino-like bloody superhero movie or DC movie we've seen so far. I mean, we see blood spew, we see throats cut, a boomerang goes through like two guys' heads and they split in half. Pete Davidson loses his face. (laughs) Um, It was surprisingly pretty gory to me. Uh, I was not expecting that going into this one. So, I mean, did you guys find this one to be extra bloody? And, like, did that make it better or more realistic? Uh, I mean, what did you guys think about, like, the CGI overall? CGI was fantastic. One of the best-looking movies I think I've seen this year. Um, I know a lot of movies have had to film during COVID, which obviously adds, you know, uh, pressures and strains when it comes to to doing special effects and, and following all the COVID protocols. As for the action, I, I think the only film that might compete with it in terms of being gory and bloodiness is Deadpool. But uh, I think this one kind of makes Deadpool's violence look like child play. It really is all over the place. Um, but I, I saw a lot of critics saying it was over the top. To me, it, it didn't feel over the top at all. I just felt like it fulfilled its R's rating and, and really justified that. Yeah, I mean, I kind of feel the same way. It was an action movie, and they set that up right from that first scene where all the characters die on the beach. So it's like... Like that one reviewer you said, it's like if you made it through that scene, then it's not like the movie goes much more over the top than that. And I thought it was fun. And you talk about Deadpool. I thought this one was extremely creative in its action and its gore, which I'm not like the biggest fan of gore, but when it's super well shot, it can be really fun. I mean, watching King Shark rip somebody in two against a backdrop of like white and it's raining and it's slow-mo is like super cool another one in that same scene is whenever two uh guards are walking towards the camera and then rick flag shoots a shotgun in between them and it like gets half of both of them out of the way <laughs> it was like there was just really creative shots like that so i, I just found it super fun i mean keith had called out the boomerang stuff the way it like chopped two guys and it, it was really creative i didn't expect it like you said like i expected it to be gory with the r rating but i didn't expect it to be extremely well shot and like Every action sequence like one upped each other. It was like, whoa, who who would have thought they would have done that? Obviously, like the Peacemaker and Bloodsport sequence in the camp, too. I mean, just super creative. And Starro and King Shark's CGI looks incredible. I didn't have any, I I couldn't find any flaws with either one of those two. Yeah, King Shark looked great. Starro comes in later in the movie, looks awesome, too. Even in the scenes where it shouldn't, whenever Harley Quinn's diving through the eye, and it's like, how does this still look amazing? And then, yeah, so. They really use that $185 million budget. <laughs> I mean, it looked great. I mean, I'm not trying to be ironic here, but because Sly Stallone is in, in this, but the scene where they're going through the jungle and they're killing that one team that they weren't supposed to kill, it kind of looked like Rambo in a way. There you go. 
Yeah. Why are we calling him Sly? Is he going by that now? He's our friend. Close friend. So we just like to use his nickname. Sylvester Stallone's always gone by Sly Stallone short. I hate that. Oh. I hate that so much. Hmm. Call him Sylvester. <laughs> I'm sorry, Austin, yo. <laughs> Sylvester. You know what I don't hate that we haven't talked about yet was uh, Bloodsport's crossbow on his arm. And also pretty much everything about Bloodsport when it came to the action. Dude, Bloodsport's awesome. That gun, that that helmet too, that helmet's awesome. Yeah. The fact that he has like a sword on his back somewhere, he has the crossbow, he has the guns, which can be as small as like, like, a, like a handheld pistol, like that small, like just like the size of your hand that goes all the way to like this huge firework launcher type thing. I mean, what a cool design. So awesome. And Harley Quinn's like psychedelic uh, action se- sequence was really sweet and, and well shot too. And and the the birds and the flowers coming out of all of her like gunshots and stuff just felt so like on point for Harley Quinn and, and what we've seen from her in the DCEU. Yeah, so I really thought the movie was just paced extremely well too. I think whenever we would pause, I was pleasantly surprised to see how far we were into the movie. It really moved despite having to juggle a lot of things with the main story, all the characters, and even multiple villains too. We even get cutaways to see what Harley, Flag, and Waller are up to at various points. So I just wanted to see if you guys agreed with that. Were there any points throughout the movie that kind of lulled for you, or did you feel it moved pretty quickly? I don't have an issue with the pacing. Like I said at the top, I, I do think it is a bit too long. Um, they certainly have a lot of things to juggle. I think the only thing where I really noticed it is in the third act, right when Peacemaker is about to kill Ratcatcher 2, and then they do like eight minutes earlier, and we go back in time again. Um, like that is where it felt like a little bit of a lull for me, where, where it felt like we were like really moving towards the end of the movie and things were starting to wrap up. And then we kind of like took a break to go back to like a separate side story. Just the way that sequence was filmed and edited into the movie felt kind of just a, a bit jarring to me. I will say there's no scenes that feel like wasted in the movie. There, were, there really weren't that many slow scenes in the, in the movie overall. They did a great job of like seating all the villains in there so whenever they do introduce the thinker it's like oh this is cool they're using this scene to set up starro and then it's like oh this is interesting why are they giving harley this like solo story and it's like oh they're kind of having her take care of what we thought was the main villain the main general guy i was like oh that is interesting and then they use that all for like character beats too so you're right austin it's like every single scene that you think might be kind of used to slow things down a little bit is either used to kind of deal with a villain or it's used to set up something or it's used to do like a really great character moment whenever Harley is talking about after her last boyfriend, which we know is the Joker, like she's always looking for red flags and talking about great lines. You know, Keith, you talked about the shit. That's true. One of your favorite lines. I think one of my favorite like delivered lines is whenever Harley uh, kills Luna and is just like, I'm looking for red flags. And you might be thinking, you might say to me like, Harley, why'd you do that? And I'd be like, don't yell at me. I'm not deaf. (laughs) (laughs) Just like talking to herself. So funny. That got me good. So it was great. The only, now that I'm thinking about it, the only thing (laughs) that might not have been handled super well, because I did say it twice in the movie was, oh, I forgot about these guys in reference to the freedom fighters. I think they just, um, it's not that they weren't interesting. It's just that they spent too much time away from those characters, I thought, each time that they would cut back. So I, I forgot about Alice Braga and the whole Freedom Fighters every time they came back to it. But that's probably my only thing that lulled, just because it was like, I would forget about it. And then whenever it would play out, it would be like, okay, let's get back to the good stuff, because I forgot about this. So I don't care about it as equally. Yeah. And since we've been kind of majority positive, and, and we are kind of like touching on some negative things right now, the, o- the only other negative that I really have is just I think the Starro story gets a bit lost towards the end, and, and it does wrap up a little too nicely. I really like that they were able to include Starro in this movie and that it doesn't feel goofy. Starro feels really intimidating, especially with the face huggers, and, and they made that, that monster feel scary. But we don't really have like a strong villain in the movie, I think is my main critique. Most of the characters die like as a result of other squad mates' actions, and, and not because of like whatever villain they're going up against. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there, Austin. Like you, you feel like there should have been a stronger villain than like a big ass starfish. I don't even care that it's a big starfish. That's a villain. Like Starro is a kind of a fun character from the comics. It's just the fact that we don't have like a main villain to latch on to. Like we go through all three of them really quickly. Yeah. No, I see what you're saying. I think some would argue. I'm not sure. I would argue this personally. I'm maybe halfway, but 
you could say that Amanda Waller is kind of a villain in this one. I mean, she's kind of she's trying to cover up a government secret. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. I think um, well, I like the handling of Starro. I do understand how it got a, it got a little bit lost for you in there with all like the elements behind it. Um, I think the only potential issue is just that there's probably too many villains because whenever they initially set it up, it's like okay, General Luna's the villain, and then General like I think Suarez, the guy from Quantum of Solace, is also a villain. It's like okay, that's pretty compelling. Like the Corto Maltese government is got to take them out. And it's like, oh, okay, well, there's this whole Starro element and that's the villain. Okay, that's cool. But then it's like, well, we've got to get the thinker. It's like, okay, so thinker's kind of a bad guy too. And then meanwhile, of course, Amanda Waller, like you said, Keith, is also very villainous and who knows like what her motivations are. And then because of the whole twist with Peacemaker, it's like, okay, well, now Peacemaker's kind of a villain. So I think that was probably like, well, I liked it. Maybe that was my issue. It's because there were so many villains that so they kind of wrapped up and dealt with it, kind of took away from time they could have used to maybe develop Starro and just that side of it a little bit more. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. We've praised them so much for how well they keep track of all the main characters and how everybody gets their own moment. But I think a lot of all that stuff comes at sacrificing the multiple villains that are in this movie and none of them really get developed. But it was always funny, though. It's like whenever they could have developed Luna more, I love that Harley just shot him and killed him. Like, I thought that was awesome. I like that, like, the Thinker, Suarez, and Starro kind of all come together. Like, he becomes kind of the main conduit for Starro and has that great line at the end that he was, I was happy just floating, looking at the stars. It was like, oh, that was cool. It comes together well, but I would have, whenever the credits rolled, I was like, I would have liked to get a little bit more from Starro. Ultimately, at the beginning of the third act, they escape and just kind of go on a rampage. And that's really kind of the extent of that character. But, you know, it was still fun. What did you guys think about the decision to surround Amanda Waller with, like, office lackeys? I liked it. I surprisingly liked it. I didn't think I would, but I thought it was really funny. I liked that they were all betting on like who would live and who would die. I thought they all had good lines. You know, I thought they were fun. And I liked that they provided a little bit of a counterpart to Amanda Waller. Like, it's not like she is the end all be all. Like, there was kind of more to it, which I thought was interesting. And we also know that um, in January, the Peacemaker show is coming out on HBO Max and all of that, all of those like side characters will be in that. So I think they were also using this opportunity to kind of set them up to be characters we would see again. But yeah, I liked them actually. I was going to say, yeah, I liked how they weren't just like her puppets. Um, they kind of had their own points of view and things. And once they figured out what she was trying to uh, be discreet about, okay, maybe we aren't fighting for the right thing here. So I thought that was kind of cool how they how they had their own point of view and things. Like you said, Matt, I did like the whole The Office crew a lot more than I thought I was going to. I think the only thing that didn't really work for me is I do think it does kind of take away from the imposingness of Amanda Waller's character yeah. to have her just kind of working in an office with these like kind of everyday people. Like I, I almost think if she had peons, like you put it, Keith, around her that like listen to her and, and fear her. I think that almost adds to her being so intimidating as a character. Yeah, I liked I liked how intimidating she was at the beginning. Like that scene with Bloodsport, I thought that was horrifying, the way she was talking about his daughter and stuff. I um, thought that was great. But then, yeah, as it goes on, it is more about the relationship with the office characters, which, like I said, I liked all those characters. But, yeah, I agree with that. It did kind of take away from the imposingness because it was like, I don't know, it's like every decision she made, it seemed like a bit more of a consensus as opposed to just her making it. but. And that did obviously come to a head whenever they knocked her out. But, you know, I'm really curious to see how that character might be used in the future. Like, how will her relationship develop with these characters, like, these office characters? Like, will that change her? Like, will she become weirdly more sympathetic? Or will she, like, become more hardened by it? Like, I don't know. So they could do a whole bunch of different things. It worked for the most part, but I do agree that it did kind of... That choice did take away a little bit of, like, the whole Amanda Waller, like, the most you can't get past it like the most imposing character. So, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. I hope they don't develop Amanda Waller though. I just, I love the fact that Amanda Waller is always this end all be all like dark character. She knows everything. Um, in the comics, Keith, she knows that Batman is Bruce Wayne. Like she's just so imposing and, and such a, a force to have either on a comic book page in an animated show or in a movie. I'm curious if she'll be in the Peacemaker show, maybe to see what, that kind of is. I do like it when we go to the post credit scene. I did like that purposefully <laughs> because of what those characters did to her by like kind of betraying her and going behind her back. She never they revealed the Peacemaker was alive. They clearly uh, she put them in charge of Peacemaker, making uh, them uh, his handlers as kind of a revenge for it. Like, you know, you made this decision based on 
that choice. Like you got a, you grew a conscience, so I'm going to make you deal with Peacemaker going forward. So I thought that was a, that was very Amanda Waller. So I like that at least. So they ended strong. Another thing I really liked about this this one was that uh, it felt like they removed the dark filter that they tend to put on a, a lot of these DC movies. And um, I wouldn't really count Wonder Woman, like the first Wonder Woman or Man of Steel or Aquaman in this, but maybe BVS, Justice League, and the rest have a little bit more of a dark filter to them. Yeah, I feel like this one was definitely more light overall. I mean, it's pretty obvious. It didn't seem to really take itself too seriously as the other ones do, which was a good change of pace for me. As, would you guys agree with that or disagree? 100%. Yeah, I thought that was super cool. I liked I liked the way you put that because this movie felt different in terms of tone and also the color palette. Like it it was really funny and it felt lighter in terms of its content, but I definitely also appreciate like you said, like this wasn't like Suicide Squad, Man of Steel, BVS or even the original Justice League. Or I guess even Zack Snyder's Justice League to be honest, where it's just super like the color is so muted. It's like these characters are like on the comic book page just jump to life, but in all these versions, everything is just kind of like the same dark color. And a lot of the choreography was great, but everything kind of looked the same because of that. And here, they did not hold back. Like, it was super colorful, and I think that added to the whole comedic tone and lightness of it. So I definitely appreciated that, like you said. It's just nice to have fun watching a DC movie for a change. A lot of them are not fun in this universe. They're not fun to watch. They're very dark and very serious. And this movie still has dark content, but they've found a way to still make it fun and have humorous elements. I think this movie really shows that DC can still go darker than Marvel if they want to, but they can still make fun movies if they just get the right talent behind the camera. Um, I think it was a really smart choice by DC to go grab James Gunn when they had the chance to get him. And well, it goes back to the Snyder Cut thing, and I, and you guys can answer this way better than I can. But Snyder Cut, I guess, appeased a lot of people as far as you know what they uh, portrayed in the comic books and all that. So going to this one, I mean, does this one live up to the comic book characters that are uh, shown shown in this one, or? I think the only one I can really answer that for is Harley Quinn because all the other guys are super unknown and, and really like kind of the bottom tier of DC villains. But for Harley, I, I think they really nailed Harley in this movie. Um, that's how she is in really all content. She's crazy. She's funny. She's like wacky and out there. And you can tell Harley's always having fun. Like even if she's murdering a bunch of people or, or doing anything else, like she's always having fun. And I, I think they really nailed that in this movie. Like Harley Quinn in every scene, except for the torture scenes, looks like she's having a great time and and being part of the squad and all that stuff. So I I thought they nailed Harley in this one for sure. Yeah. And my favorite Harley Quinn is the one after leaving Joker, like in the comics and other media, because you just get a much more interesting character, whether it be her, you know, kind of more infamous relationship with Poison Ivy that develops. But just once she leaves Joker, she becomes much more of a character. And I think Birds of Prey and now this movie have done a really good job of giving Harley Quinn like a whole character arc that takes place post a Joker relationship. So I really loved that. I thought that was awesome, like Austin said. Um, as for like other comic interpretations, I'm pretty familiar with King Shark, and I think this version certainly feels up to that. There are certain versions of King Shark which are a bit more intelligent, but I really like this one because King Shark is also often just kind of animalistic, a bit more infantile, and that's what I loved about the Stallone version. It was just kind of an infant that's never been given the time of day, has no friends, and whenever he does get friends, obviously, you get to see a bit more of that heart. So that felt very true to King Shark. As for the others, I don't really know too much about them. That was kind of the whole gimmick of this movie. It was like, who's Bloodsport? And it's like, oh, literally the only thing they're known for is shooting Superman once with a kryptonite bullet? Okay, like, I guess that'll be our main character. So, yeah, I don't know much about them, but I thought they all gave great performances and were great. So I have to imagine most people would love these interpretations. All right, guys. So obviously, before we close out here, it probably makes sense to talk about the future of the DCEU. Now that we've seen the Suicide Squad, and I think with the post credit scenes of Weasel <laughs> being alive and then Peacemaker being alive, which sets up the Peacemaker TV show, we didn't get any kind of definitive what's next. So I wanted to ask you guys, what do you hope to see? Um, Walter Hamada, the whole like the guy behind DC right now, has confirmed actually that James Gunn will be returning for more projects. So after Guardians 3, Gunn will be back, whether it be a sequel to this, whether it be other spinoffs or whatever. We do know James Gunn is coming back. So what do you want to see? Do you want to see a sequel to this? Do you want to see Gunn do something else? What do you want to see from these characters? Um, I wouldn't mind seeing a sequel to this one. I mean, as long as Bloodsport, King Shark, Harley... Um, I mean, all the characters that survived. I mean, as yeah. long as they can kind of move on, 
um, I think it'd be cool to see them move on and then maybe add some new characters along the way. Yeah, I don't know if I want another full-on Suicide Squad-centric movie, but I would love to see the squad pop up in other DC projects. I think it would be really fun to see the Suicide Squad interact with some Justice League members. I'd love to see like Bloodsport and Deadshot go at it since they're a little similar. Um, so I, I'm not sure if I'd be su- super interested into in another Suicide Squad movie just because I don't know what else how they could do like a, a way different premise. Like it's always going to be the squad going up against another crazy task that you know they're expendable. Like we kind of know the premise and we get the gist of it. I'm glad they did this redo, but. I would kind of want to see James Gunn take on another another DC character, whether it's a Superman movie or something else, just because we've now seen him tackle these ensemble movies so much. I, I kind of want to see what he can do when he has to focus on like one centric character and build out a, a movie around them. Yeah, I think um, with what James Gunn has seemed to imply, if he were to do a sequel to this, it sounds like it would not be like assembling another Suicide Squad. It sounds like it would be a very different movie and the after seeing this one and the way it ended, I assume he means like the next movie, if they did a sequel, would just focus on the four that survived, you know, Bloodsport, Harley, Ratcatcher 2, and King Shark. And then maybe they just go on an adventure, but it's not like overseen by Amanda Waller. They're just doing their own thing, kind of Guardian style. So that could be cool. I'd like to see that. If I had like a dream project for a sequel, I would love to see like maybe Amanda Waller shows up at the beginning of the next movie. And she wants revenge on like Bloodsport and that team for kind of like going against her and like holding a, her accountable and blackmailing her. And I want to see her hire like Joe Manganiello as Deathstroke to go after them and like have that be the movie where it's like Deathstroke is hunting down these four remaining Suicide Squad members and have Harley call Deadshot, uh, have Will Smith come back to kind of back them up a little bit, maybe bring in another like fun DC character or something to help them, but have like Deathstroke be the main villain. I think something like that would be super cool. So that would be my dream. But regardless of that, I definitely want to see another movie that focuses on these four surviving characters without having to have like a huge ensemble cast behind them like this one did, because they've done that now. So like just focus on these characters, kind of build them up more, give them their own story. I think that would be great. It's funny because this is super similar to that video game that's coming out. But I would also be interested in seeing the squad have to go up against like a brainwashed Justice League or something uh, like yeah. that. Or like Amanda Waller come and say, look, Superman's becoming a threat to America. You got to take him out. Just something like that would be, I think, really fun to see the squad go up against some of the t- titular DC characters. Yeah. Even if they're not fighting them, it would just be cool to see them interact with like the greater yeah. DC world, like you said. Like I, I love to see literally any of them crossover like even though the movie sucked it was really cool seeing in the first suicide squad from 2016 it was awesome seeing um captain boomerang get arrested by ezra miller's flash it kind of gave you a bit more of like an understanding of the world so you know just anything would be cool i'd love to see them go up against a hero but at the same time it's like fighting with the heroes would be cool too yeah even if i was just gonna say like because yeah i'm kind of adhered to them so if they somehow found like a big threat where like they could help that'd be super cool too oh maybe Dark side in in Zack Snyder's <laughs> Justice League Part Two. That could be a good enough threat. They'll definitely make that. Maybe David Ayer could be the villain they have to go up against in the next. <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to make the sequel to Suicide Squad, and the cast rebels. They don't want him to. <laughs> yeah. We got to stop him. That'd be good. Sounds like we're all in agreement. Definitely want to see these characters again. The ones that survived were especially good. So hopefully they get more screen time in the future. And I'm glad James Gunn is coming back. I think the Peacemaker show will be cool. So let's hope we get some good stuff. Okay, well, we're going to start wrapping things up, but we do, of course, got to rank our current DCEU as is. Uh, last time we did this was for Zack Snyder's Justice League. So let's see how our how our rankings have changed with the addition of the Suicide Squad. Yeah, so I don't, I don't think my list has changed too much, but adding this one in, I'll go ahead and start from the top. Number one, Wonder Woman. Number two, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Number three, Man of Steel. Number four, The New Suicide Squad. Nice. Number five, Aquaman. Number six, BVS. Number seven, The Original Justice League. Number eight, The Original Suicide Squad. And number nine, of course, (laughs) Wonder Woman 1984 dog shit film. All right. Life is good, but it can be better. (laughs) (laughs) 
And of course, Keith has not seen uh, Birds of Prey or Shazam, but he's going to go check them out soon. Uh, Matt, why don't you run through your rankings for the DCEU? Yeah, I feel like Keith, I feel like you would enjoy Shazam. I think you would think it's a fun comedy, but I'm extremely curious what you would think of Birds of Prey. I don't know why. Like, I feel like you could go either way on it, but I definitely want to get your thoughts eventually on that. All right, so here is my rankings. Number 11, of course, the original Suicide Squad. Number 10, Justice League. Number 9, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Number 8, Aquaman. Number 7, Shazam. Number 6, Wonder Woman 1984. Number 5, Man of Steel. Number 4, Wonder Woman. Number 3, Birds of Prey. Number 2, Zack Snyder's Justice League. And number 1, baby. The new Suicide Squad. I thought they just had so much comedy in there, so much awesome action. I loved all the characters by the end, and I I had no business loving these characters. There were so many of them, and by the end, I was just crushed when some of them were dying, and the ones that survived, I thought they were awesome, so I loved it. And to close us out here, I'm going to go number one, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Number two, The Suicide Squad. Number three... Wonder Woman, Man of Steel, Shazam, BVS, Aquaman, Birds of Prey, Wonder Woman 1984, Justice League, and of course, 2016's Suicide Squad. Release the air cut, baby. Ew. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And now before we go, we got to, of course, do the Arnie's Podcast Awards. If you're new this week, this is a segment where we give an award to anything in this episode. Our boy Keith always starts us off. Keith, what is your award for the Suicide Squad? Yeah, my award today is the King of the Ocean Award, and that goes to the starfish. I'm now terrified of starfish after watching this movie. It scarred me (laughs) that they can take over people's brains and bodies and all that with their weird eyes. Keith, who do you think would win in a staring contest, you or Starro? His eye is as big as my house. It'd be pretty scary. (laughs) (laughs) His eye is as big as my house. (laughs) (laughs) I would definitely blink before he does. I'm going to give an award that's very near and dear to my heart, and it is the Anaconda Award, and it's going to Mr. John Cena. All I'm going to say (laughs) is there's a scene where he's in some tidy whities and I'm going to leave that that. If you know, you know, John Cena gets the Anaconda Award. I still don't think it's real. Like, there's no way (laughs) that was real. That's funny you say that, Austin, because my other award I was going to say was the best Calvin Klein model award that would go to John Cena. (laughs) He honestly probably should be. It's funny. My award is surprisingly similar. (laughs) And whenever uh, Keith said King of the Ocean, I thought he might be giving it to this person. But my award is for the 2022 Tommy Bahama model of the year. And it goes to King Shark in those shorts. <laughs> that was definitely some he Tommy pulled Bahama. Him off. He did. We, I think in the next movie, we got to see him in like one of those like kind of a see-through white boat shirts that you put on. You know what I'm saying? Like definitely Tommy Bahama or J crew. I think he could really pull it off. Like, yeah, if he can like kind of do like a Billy, like a Billy butcher sort of thing, he wears the Hawaiian shirt. Ooh, of course. How did that? Yeah, of course. The Hawaiian shirt. We got to get King shark in Hawaiian. Opened, unbuttoned, sleeves cut off, sunglasses, King shark's new look, baby. Put some money on it. I think we're getting it for sure. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, that's going to do it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss any of our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we really do appreciate that so we can continue to grow this show. Go ahead and leave us reviews as well. Uh, Even if you don't want to write anything, leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. really does help us out. At The Arnie's is our social, and thearnie's.media is the website. We'll be back next week with the return of our retrospective and review series covering the John Wick trilogy. This time we'll be heading deeper into the high table with John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum. That's right. That'll be super fun. Other than that, our next big episode, which I gotta say, might be my most anticipated Arnie's episode in a while. Keith talked about it at the top, but we are bringing back the bracket format, of course. But this time we're not restricting ourselves. We're not worrying about genre. We're not worrying about anything like that. Each of us picked four random movies, and that was the only criteria. So we're going to see how that plays out. Super excited. I'm really excited to watch some of these movies. I actually haven't seen a few of them, so it's going to be fun. So look forward to that, too. Uh, But yeah, lastly, we want to hear from you. So feel free to to, uh, direct message us on Instagram, at the Arnie's, or email us, thearniesmedia at gmail.com. 
Send us your thoughts on the Suicide Squad and help us decide our next bonus series. Anything you say, we'll read on the show and react to it live on the podcast. All right, everybody. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon. See ya. See ya.